Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this is episode 261, The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle and the Mercian Register. How's that for a sexy title? This show is ad-free due to member support, and as a way of thanking members for keeping the show independent, I offer members-only content, including extra episodes and rough transcripts. You can get instant access to all the members' extras by signing up for membership at thebritishhistorypodcast.com. And thank you very much to Noah, Don, and Ben for signing up already. I hope that after the last few episodes, and honestly, the last few years, I've managed to dispel the myth of elegance that surrounds monarchy especially medieval monarchy. Even among the best monarchs, you won't find a Prince Charming. Each one of these individuals had serious flaws. They all do things that are ineffective, short-sighted, or just downright unsavory. And many of them have at least a little scandal in their lives. And that's just their public lives. On the occasion where we get a glimpse into the monarch's personal private matters, you see the same sort of mess that you can expect to find in anyone's life. Sometimes even more. Alfred the Great's eldest son, Edward, suddenly had a new wife after a lover had vanished for unknown reasons. And he had a young son from that vanished lover that was sent away to Mercia, and all of this potentially happening after his father had died. The whole thing looks a little bit dodgy. And when we look at his public life, we know that even though Athelwald was dead, Edward's political problems hadn't fully gone away. When Athelwald rebelled, he didn't do it alone. Some number of the West Saxons had joined him, and so did some of the Northumbrians and the Danes of East Anglia. So while Athelwald might be dead, and the king of East Anglia might be dead, that didn't mean that the war was over. These things had a habit of dragging on, and it's likely that Edward had some serious lingering concerns about the state of his kingdom. But when it comes to the state of that kingdom, we run into a problem. We lack a clear record of what sort of relations existed between the Danes and the West Saxons from about 902 to 909. However, despite that lack, there are a few tantalizing details. But one thing that you need to know as we move forward is that with the reign of Edward, we're also entering a very important time for a written record. Because it was in this era where Manuscript A, the first version of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle that we have, was likely written. And some of you might be saying, hey, wait a minute, I thought the Chronicle was Alfred's project. How is the reign of Edward where Manuscript A was produced? And you're right, this is extremely confusing. We've been referencing it in nearly every episode for ages, but I've never really explained what the Chronicle actually is and how it survived into the modern age. So today, I'm going to give you a proper introduction to the best window that we have into the political world of the Dark Ages. And the reason we're doing it right now is because the Chronicle reveals a mystery about Edward, and potentially his biggest political rival. And it's not Athelwald, nor is it Athelwald's supporters, nor even the Danes. The mystery that the Chronicle points us to is the rivalry between Edward and his big sister, Athelflaed, Lady of Mercia. And you've probably actually heard her name before, because Athelflaed is one of the most famous women in Anglo-Saxon history. She very well may have been a powerhouse in her own right, and struggled with just as big of a political situation as Edward did. But to get there, you really need to understand what the Chronicle is. You see, the thing about the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle is that there really isn't one. Or rather, there isn't only one. There are several. 
The chronicle that Alfred commissioned, the original chronicle, is often called the Alfredian Chronicle. But there's something about the Alfredian Chronicle that makes it particularly mysterious. See, the Alfredian Chronicle has been lost. We don't have it anymore. What we actually have is something that we call the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which is actually a compilation of multiple annals written by many different people over the course of centuries. And all of them ultimately are based on that Alfredian Chronicle. But what we're reading are copies of copies of copies. And we know this because as the copies were made, people made errors and they altered some stuff to fit their own perspectives and they deleted other bits. But this process of making copies and adding to the Chronicle wasn't linear. It was actually branched. At first, probably a bit like a tree, but then it branched more like a bush. And so as the scribes came along and made their own copies, they were duplicating whatever branch they were drawing from. And as a result, today, over a thousand years after the Alfredian Chronicle was first written down, there are still seven surviving manuscripts of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. And we also have a fragment of an eighth. But they're all different manuscripts. And that's why if you listen to historians who specialize in this era, you'll hear them talk about manuscript B or D or H. That's the scholar's name for these different versions of the Chronicle. But the critical part about all of this is that each surviving version of the Chronicle has different bits of information in them and different dates and sometimes different focuses. It's why sometimes the dates for events gets a bit soupy because different manuscripts have different dates. It's also why certain events get a bit soupy, but we're going to get into that in a minute. But so you know this, in total, we have manuscripts A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then there's the fragment for H. That's where this all comes from. And we don't know the precise circumstances where all the various copies of the Alfredian Chronicle were created. Nor do we know if some or all of them were part of Alfred's literacy project. I mean, he was pushing reading and writing pretty hard, so you can imagine that there were copies made, but whether these manuscripts were part of that, we don't know. Furthermore, we don't know how many different individuals got their hands on the various versions of the Chronicle. Were there multiple exact duplicates being passed around? Or was there just one that people got their hands on, and if they had the desire, duplicated it right then and there? We don't know. Scholars tracing the similarities of some of the chronicles think there's evidence that certain updates were sent out from some sort of centralized authority, or at least when the updates were done, they are shared among certain groups of scribes. And they think that because when they look at manuscripts A through D, they all share very similar groups of updates for the mid-10th century. And that suggests some sort of coordination. Similarly, manuscripts C through E contain updates for the reign of King Athelred II, also known as King Ethelred the Unready. But all these versions also have their own variations as well. So while there were updates that seem to be done in bulk, they appear to just be for specific time periods, rather than as a part of any organized unification scheme for all the different manuscripts. But... However it was distributed and updated, and under whatever auspices it was being copied, the Alfredian Chronicle, the very first one, certainly was being copied. Unfortunately, despite the fact that we have seven surviving manuscripts and a fragment of an eighth, we know that we're still lacking an enormous number of other manuscripts. Manuscripts that, had they survived, could have illuminated this period for us in ways that we might not be able to guess. 
And that makes unraveling this period all the more difficult because we know we're reading copies of copies of copies. But while we know that, we're still unable to see the full flow of how things were added and removed. We're just able to see the shadows. Essentially, working from the Chronicles as a historian means that you're playing an 1100-year-old game of telephone. But with that in mind, here's the best reconstruction of what survives and how it fits into the Chronicles lineage that we have. The earliest reference to the Alfredian Chronicle that we have comes from the Annals of St. Neots, which was written in the early 12th century. So that's over 200 years after Alfred's death. Now weirdly, despite the name, we don't think that St. Neots actually wrote this document. We think it was at least two other scribes. However, based on the way that the monks compiled this chronicle, it's suspected that this is the one surviving account that we have that directly draws from the Alfredian Chronicle. However, because it was written by monks in East Anglia, they also added in extra information about what had been happening in East Anglia, and also some material about Francia. So while it does appear to reference the Alfredian Chronicle, it's not an exact duplicate. Already things are changing. And that's going to be a common thing. People duplicate all or part of the Chronicle, and then they add in their own particular areas of interest into it. But this East Anglian Annal, the Annals of St. Neots, is the only thing that we have that directly draws from the Alfredian Chronicle. Everything else, everything else, are copies of copies at best. And the funny thing about this is that it was created over two centuries after Alfred's death, so the Alfredian Chronicle was circulating for quite some time. But despite that, this is the only thing that makes it to us that has a direct line to that chronicle, even though many of the other sources that we're going to get to were actually written a little bit earlier. So let's get to that. So, reconstructing this lineage, scholars have determined that in addition to the Annals of St. Neots, there must have also been a direct copy of the Alfredian Chronicle. And we're going to call this Copy 1. Now, Copy 1, much like the Alfredian Chronicle, has been lost to time. We don't have it. However, scholars were able to track down its existence by paying close attention to the errors that appear in the manuscripts we've managed to get our hands on. By tracing those errors and those changes, and by watching who reproduced those changes, they are able to figure out that sections of Athelweir's Chronicle, which was another important Anglo-Saxon document, this one being produced in the late 10th century, must have been based upon copy one. But the duplication process continued, and other scribes got their hands on copy one, and they produced a copy of that, and we're going to call that one copy two. The trouble, though, was that it wasn't a perfect duplication. The scribes forgot a sentence in the year 885, and this mistake gave modern scholars another marker to trace the lineage back to the original. And so again, by tracing these errors, they determined that copy two was based on copy one, and that copy two was the basis for both the writings of Asser and for manuscript A of the Chronicle. So we're now at the first manuscript of what we commonly refer to as the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. And already, you can see that we're talking about a copy of a copy of a copy. And these copies come complete with mistakes that omit entire events. But the process continued. And that manuscript, Manuscript A, became the basis for Manuscript G. So if you're counting, we have so far accounted for the lineage of two surviving manuscripts of the Chronicle, as well as the records in St. Neots, Athelweird, and Asser. But it doesn't stop there. 
because copy two was duplicated. And when the scribes did that, they added a little extra information about what happened in 883. And we're going to call that copy three. But it doesn't look like any of our surviving manuscripts were actually based on copy three. Instead, we have manuscripts that were based on two different copies of copy three. Our first copy of copy three was based out of Worcester or York, and it added some local material. We'll call that copy four. And that became the basis for manuscript B of the Chronicle. And then someone read manuscript B and also went back to copy four and read that again and produced manuscript C of the Chronicle. Meanwhile, copy three was being duplicated again. We're going to call that copy five. And this was an edited version that came out of York in the 11th century, which was then copied again to add some local material for Worcester and York, thus becoming copy six. And copy six is what manuscript D of the Chronicle was based on. However, copy six was actually copied again, and they added some material about Canterbury, thus becoming copy seven. And that is what manuscripts E and F of the Chronicle were based on. And as for fragment H, well, we don't know how that fits into this scheme. There just isn't enough material in that fragment for historians to accurately trace the changes and errors in it. Manuscript H just is. But here's the most important part that I want you to know. All the copies that I mentioned, one through seven, as well as the Alfredian Chronicle, all of them, well, we don't have any of them. They're all lost. We only know that they must have existed at some point. The only way that the scholars were even able to identify these missing manuscripts was by playing an insanely complicated logic puzzle and reverse engineering changes. And I can't tell you how much respect I have for the people who first developed this bizarre flowchart of Anglo-Saxon telephone merely by tracking subtle changes in the various documents that were produced. But this is the real state of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle as it exists for us today. It might be our best source of information for this period, but we are still looking at copies. And generally, copies of copies of copies of copies. And not all of the scribes were interested in simple duplication. Some of them had their own perspectives and their own things to say. And that is where the Chronicle becomes extremely important to the story of Edward and Athelflaed. Our knowledge of this political struggle between brother and sister is rooted in, of all things, decisions of what was and wasn't included in the various versions of the Chronicle. Because depending on which manuscript you're reading, your view of Edward and Athelflaed could change wildly. And one of the marquee things about this story to me is that some manuscripts mention Athelflaed at all. Because the truth is that out of the approximately 900 years of entries that we can trace back to the original Alfredian Chronicle, only about 20 of those entries mention women. Just 20. So for those of you who often ask me why I'm not talking more about women, that's why. 900 years of material, about 20 mentions of women. Women were ignored. In many cases, they were likely actively scrubbed from history. It's unlikely that the various women in the halls of power, even under the extremely patriarchal society of the Anglo-Saxons, didn't have at least some forms of impact during all those centuries. But when it came time to write those events down, the women and their impacts were likely refused recognition. For example, you might remember how King Raidwald's wife was at the center of several massive political decisions. She was literally driving them. But when it came time to write all this stuff down, we weren't even told her name. 
that kind of thing seems to happen all too often. And it might have to do with the fact that the scribes who wrote these chronicles were men, often holy men, who lived in ecclesiastical cultures, and those cultures actively demonized women and saw them as degraded, and polluting the presence of good men. The driving cultural force at this time was for men to be men, women to be men, dogs to be men, everybody should be a man. And if you want to know a little bit more about that culture, have a re-listen to Man Up, Gender in the Middle Ages. So the idea that people would be writing about women is pretty unlikely. And this happens again and again in history. And it's the reason why relying solely on written records for understanding history is such a problematic practice, particularly in regard to the history of your female ancestors. But even when we bring in archaeology and non-traditional records into the picture, we still have to reverse engineer events and pick over little tiny scraps of information to find the truth behind them. And that's only if we're lucky enough to get those scraps. But ultimately, our best source of material for this time period, the Alfredian Chronicle, doesn't appear to have much to say about women. Or, at least if it did, those parts didn't get copied. And the first manuscript of the Chronicle that we have, Manuscript A, continues this practice. Manuscript A appears to be, for the most part, a copy of the material from the Alfredian Chronicle, with some additional material about the reign of King Edward of Wessex added to the end of it. In fact, even stylistically, Manuscript A appears to be duplicating the Alfredian style, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But for now, I just want to emphasize that Manuscript A largely ignores women the same way that we believe that the Alfredian Chronicle did. But that changes when we get to manuscripts B and C. Suddenly, we start getting extra entries discussing what was happening in Mercia. Specifically, we hear about Athelflaed's sister of Edward. And things really get interesting when you come to manuscript D. That's where we learn a lot more about Athelflaed. And in that manuscript, we don't just get additional details. We're also told about her title, The Lady of Mercia. So where is this information coming from? Well, scholars believe that it came from a document that, wait for it, has been lost to time. It's called the Mercian Register. And much like how we've been able to reverse engineer lost chronicles, we've also been able to identify some of what was in that register. Looking at manuscripts B through D, we've been able to find remnants of it. And it is in manuscript D where we get the most information about Mercia during the period of Athelflaed's dominance, which is why all Mercian scholars love the D. And for those of you who have been following the Chronicles flowchart, the Mercian Register appears to have been incorporated into copies 4 and 6. But what makes the Mercian Register so intriguing is that rather than continuing the tradition of ignoring women, it focuses like a laser upon the eldest daughter of Alfred the Great. Athelflaed, Lady of Mercia. And it actually doesn't stop with Athelflaed. It's from the Mercian Register that we also learn about Edward's unnamed daughter marrying King Citric of Northumbria. And I can't overstate how unusual that is. We are seeing multiple women being mentioned over a short space of time. And with regard to Athelflaed, we're actually being given consecutive entries about her. And it is a really low bar, but it's a huge change of form that has to be noted. This was a significant diversion from the other documents. And here's something else that makes the Mercian Register really interesting. Athelred, Lord of Mercia, is mentioned twice in the portions that come from the Mercian Register. They mentioned his death, and then they mentioned that he was the father of Aelfwin, the second lady of Mercia. 
And that's it. Apparently, Athelred's tenure as the Lord of Mercia didn't merit comment in the Mercian Register, or at least in the bits that got copied. Furthermore, King Edward is largely absent in the record as well. He appears briefly, but not nearly as much as in Manuscript A. And that right there is fascinating. We have the Mercian Register, which doesn't focus much on Edward. And on the flip side, you have Manuscript A, which all but erased Athelflaed, Lady of Mercia. And the funny thing is that Manuscript A wasn't entirely dismissive of women. It's in Manuscript A where we get the additional detail about Edward's mother, Aelswitha, and how she had a Mercian heritage. And yet, Athelflaed doesn't appear at all. So what exactly is going on here? Well, Dr. Pauline Stafford has been looking into this, and she noted that the entries in Manuscript A were clearly copied from the Alfredian Chronicle. Not just in content, but also in style. They appear to have been deliberately written to imitate that earlier style. And so when the entries about the reign of King Edward of Wessex were put in there, they had the same stylistic choices as the Alfredian Chronicle. And looking at that, Dr. Stafford posits that Manuscript A was produced during the reign of King Edward, or possibly very soon thereafter. And she argues that this aping of the Alfredian style was Edward's way of showing that he was ruling in the same manner as his father. It was a tangible representation that his reign was a continuation of Alfred the Great's rule. But he wasn't just stopping there. Manuscript A also emphasized how Alfred was the king of the Anglican, which was something that Edward pretty clearly aspired to. Also, remember how it added detail about how Edward's mother was Mercian? Well, that would be very useful for Edward if he wanted to bolster his claim as overlord of Mercia. See, the thing is that Edward's political maneuvering didn't end with the death of Athelwald. It would continue for the rest of his life. Edward, we're going to discover, was seeking to expand the borders of Wessex as much as he could. He was seeking to be the king of the Anglican. And, of course, having his big sister and then having his niece reigning over Mercia wasn't exactly in line with that ambition. So Dr. Stafford argues that he was making his case for the full annexation of Mercia. Essentially, the argument is, if the Alfredian Chronicle was Alfred's propaganda piece, then Manuscript A was Edward's. And that makes the omission of Athelflaed all the more interesting, because version A of the Chronicle lavishes attention upon Edward's actions in Mercia. He's portrayed as a sort of one-man force of nature pushing back the Danes. But the story that we get from the Mercian Register tells a very different story. It tells the story of a one-woman force of nature. And that isn't exactly the kind of story that Edward would want to popularize while he was working to annex Mercia and disinherit his niece, Aelfwyn, daughter of Athelflaed. So here we are, with Manuscript A looking at Mercia and saying, nothing to see here, and Manuscripts B through D drawing from the Mercian Register and saying, are you f***ing kidding me? And the frustrating thing for us is that it's damn near impossible to tell if they're both telling the truth and just highlighting their own areas of interest, or whether one is lying, or whether both are lying. We don't know. But if we're going to take Manuscript A seriously, we also have to give equal weight to Manuscripts B through D. And that means that we're now in the era of Alfred the Great's eldest child, Athelflaed, Lady of Mercia. 
If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at thebritishhistorypodcast at gmail.com. You can also join us on Twitter. We're at British Podcast. And you can join all our other communities by going to the upper right-hand corner of thebritishhistorypodcast.com. Thanks for listening.